Running Light Ministry podcast is brought to you by listeners like you. You can support these podcasts by making a gift to the ministries at runninglight.org. Okay, welcome to the uh, Better Pleasure podcast. My name is Bo. I'm Peter. And we are going to be talking once again about the blog from Jessica Enriquez. And the title of this, do you remember what the title of it was? It was Virginity re- Mistakes. Virginity Mistakes. That's right. And um, it's been a great blog, and we've had some really good discussions on it. So we'll try to finish up today. Um, you can always check out our podcast on SoundCloud at Running Light and uh, iTunes and Google. Um, or you can check out our website at runninglight.org. If you have any questions, you certainly can tweet us too at Running Light. Um, so there's definitely different ways to contact us on these issues. And these blog, our podcasts really talk uh, about issues of sex, the Bible, intimacy, um, pornography, stuff like that. So um, we kind of get into all the nitty-gritty stuff. Very fun. Yeah. Yeah, good theology, too. It's always fun. <laughs> so um, anyway, let's let's move on with, yeah, this, so, with this blog. Uh, the last thing we talked about was they had just gotten married, and she was immediately beginning to struggle in her sex life. It began with the wedding night, and now it's continuing. And this is... She, she describes, I'm going to skip over it, but she describes how during sex with her husband, she would be thinking about everything but him. And uh, a- after that, she says, um, <clears throat> this was not lovemaking. There was no bond, no sanctity. This was not the amazing sex I had been promised from the pulpit. This was disappointment three or four times a week. Not long into our marriage, my mother coyly asked how it was going. I joked that there was some part, uh, that there were some women who needed it and some who prioritized it underneath quilting. But I accepted sex as a, as a part-time, uh, part of the gig, and though it was regular, it was regularly awful for me. It wasn't all his fault. I admit that I was not a willing student, but he was, not, uh, he was no teacher either. Our bodies wanted different things from one another, so what we ended up with was a horizontal battle. I would hear married girlfriends talk about the joys of makeup sex and continue to sip my coffee in silence. We would fight, then we would have sex, then fight some more. Every flaw in our marriage and in him seemed much more miserable when combined with the possibility of faking orgasms until death did we part. There was no relief. Anything wow. you want to say on that? Gosh, it's just, it's so sad to, to read her her blog at this stage of the game. Um, um, you know, it's interesting that she talks about the pulpit and what she heard from the pulpit. I kind of grab a hold of that because I think a lot of, I think she's right in that way Mm. where, uh, you know, she probably heard a lot of like, uh, you know, like, man, sex is awesome. If you just wait and, you know, it's the best and, you know, and you're going to have a great time. And, um, and, and for some reason she was fixated on an experience. Um, and for some reason those sermons, She was fixated on this this experience of sex, um, and instead of on Jesus, um, and and what sex is supposed to do, um, or what, what the theology of sex. It's almost like whatever she, whatever she was around culturally in the Christian world, um, it seemed to emphasize just doing it the right way meaning just getting married and then having sex and it's going to be amazing um which was wrong which wasn't a, a, the right thing because 
like we've already said, sex outside of marriage is not not fun. It's not like it's not pleasurable and then you get married and you're like, wow, that sex was amazing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. No, sex is sex. You know, um, what makes marital sex awesome isn't the acts that are happening, but it is the covenant uh, which God is at the center of. And it's the savoring of God. It's the enjoyment of God and his work in you and in your wife to mimic him, to be like him, to exalt him. Yeah. Um, that's what makes marital sex really fun mm. and cool. Um, so she never seemed to get a hold of that. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, this is a. I wanted to read this quote to go off of what you're saying, Bo, about, you know, misunderstanding kind of why we as Christians follow what Jesus said. And uh, it, it is a pitfall in our culture where we seem to think that, like, the words of Jesus in and of themselves are a good or a positive. And actually, the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says that the reason or the motive or the heart behind following his words are actually far more important. And uh, this is a quote from Mere Christianity where C.S. Lewis says it this way. He says, it is quite true that if we took Christ's advice, we should live in a happier world. But you don't even need to go as far as Christ. If we all did what Plato or Aristotle or Confucius told us, we should live in a great deal better place than we do. And so what? We never have followed the advice of the great teachers. Why are we likely to begin now? Why are we more likely to follow Christ than any of the teachers? Because he's the best moral teacher. But... That makes it even less likely that we should follow him. And, and what C.S. Lewis is getting at, and, and what we as Christians are saying, is that if you actually read the teachings of Christ, uh, you'll see that there's really nothing monumentally amazing about them. I mean, you're not going to read the teachings of Christ and see something really new about them. Even the golden rule that people talk about a lot, Confucius had said that years before Christ. He put it in a different format, you know, treat others as you would have them treat you. Confucius said it, uh, don't do to other people what you wouldn't want them to do to you. But really, when you look at the specialness of the Christian message, it's not about a teaching, it's about a person. That's right. Jesus didn't just say, follow my commandments. He says, if you love me obey my commandments. So the, the, the real thing that he's pointing people to is himself. He right. says, I am the bread of life. I am the fountain of living water. I am the pleasure that you're seeking. And that's what it means when it, in, when, just to, to, to get any confusion where, when Jesus says like, eat of my body and drink of my blood in the book of John, um, it doesn't mean literally eat of him. It doesn't mean literally like when you eat the, the cracker, the wafer, that you're eating Christ. That's not what he's getting at because if you just read a little longer um, in the passage, he talks about abiding yeah. in him. And and that's what he's getting at, the whole idea of abiding relationship-wise. Mm. Being able to, you know, I abide with my wife. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. I abide with uh, people that I care about. I want to abide in them. Mm. I want to be with them. I want to be close to them. I want to hear them. Yeah. Um, you know, so Jesus is saying, abide in me. Mm. You know, come underneath my wing. You know, relationally. Mm. You know, so you're absolutely right. Yeah. You know, so she, she obviously misses that because she, she heard those sermons. And there is a lot of sermons that are preached. 
and they are preached in the way of porn bad you know wait till you have get married and then you're going to have great sex yeah. yeah and 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 that misses the mark yeah as if the christian doctrine could exist without christ right you know? as <laughs> which, if is, the Christ- which is foolishness you know i would never right. look at an atheist and say hey if you just follow the teachings of christ it really doesn't matter if you believe in him or right. you love him just do it and you'll have a better life right it's like if you take christ out of christianity i'm just setting him up for a different type of a fall that's right you know so it's really not benefiting him one iota that's right you know? Um, but another thing that I think is so interesting, I, I like the way that she words it because it's definitely something that's, it's hugely relatable for people where she says, our bodies wanted different things from one another. So we ended up with was a horizontal battle. And that's kind of interesting. That's a really interesting line. You know, is there anything you want to say about it? I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I think, I don't know if you were kind of tracking with this, but I was thinking, um, you know, that is an issue with. You know, there's a lot of things there. I mean, I think of, first of all, um, it's amazing she knew what she wanted, hmm. you know, and that that's kind of, I think, a, an interesting point in what she says. She seems to indicate that she knows what she wants about sex, which is pretty amazing, actually, because a lot of people, when they get married from a Christian background, uh, a conservative Christian background, they, they don't know what they want. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're not sure. They never had, a lot of them have never even had an orgasm, a lot of women anyway. Yeah. And so they, they're not even like, what is that? You know what I mean? Yeah. And most men don't know how to please a woman. Yeah. Um, when they get married. So they're, they're not sure. They don't know women's parts, things like that. So it's, it's very difficult for them. They're not even thinking on that trajectory. Usually they're just thinking, oh my gosh. And they're usually they're fulfilling maybe their own, their own excitement, yeah. you know, and that's where their mind's at. So it's kind of shocking to me that she says it like I, you know, I, I, maybe she's just thinking I wasn't being pleased. Yeah. You know, I don't think I was being satisfied like I've heard. Yeah. You know, and let's face it, the younger cu- cu- uh, younger generation, you know, anybody in the Internet age, they pretty much know what orgasm is. They probably know they already know their body parts fairly well. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 So I don't know how old she is, but I find that interesting anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think you bring up a really good point, Bo, that it's like if you're if you're a young person. And you've grown up, and and we kind of touched on this last week, but if I'm growing up and I've been taught that, like, you know, everything I view in porn is bad and wrong and, you know, exploring my body and exploring my sexuality are are wrong things, then the fact that I could just – the the idea that I could just turn off that mentality and want to get into bed with my spouse is is kind of a fairy tale. You know, Mm -hmm. the the idea that I'm just going to get into my bed with my spouse and feel comfortable with saying to my wife – these kind of things feel good and these kind of things do not so that we can learn and grow and develop our intimacy. It's just not going to happen because we, we don't even feel comfortable thinking about sex, let alone talking about it. And that's true. And that's what I think like, you know, very controversial people like David Lay, you know, the, the psychologist, I think that's why those guys are so controversial is because, you know, they're coming out and saying, Hey, you know what? We need to have some kind of dialogue Hmm. on sex you know what I mean? And and uh, I don't think they're coming off and saying this is the exact kind of dialogue we need, but they're definitely, I think he's saying, you know, we need to have some kind of dialogue with this. Yeah. Um, you know, because you're right. It's like, 
you know, we don't, I know, I know Christian, you know, we don't get together with our kids and go over like the Karma Sutra, you know what I mean? And be like, all, <laughs> yeah. be like, okay, now this is how you please your, your, your girl. And, yeah. you know, this is how it happens. And, you know, uh, what we hope to do in Christianity is teach, um, a relationship with Christ, a personal relationship with Christ to our kids, um, which they have to develop, um, and that takes time mm. and 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 that through that personal relationship, a love develops yeah. a supernatural love that they have it's uh, for their for hopefully their future spouse yeah and that love is the principle that will uh teach them, guide them uh, in all ways, especially in the marital bed, yeah. You know, yeah. and so there'll be a patience, there'll be a gentleness, a kindness, you know, a wanting and an inquiry. Yeah. You know, I think an inquiry of like, hey, you know, like, you know, talk to my wife, you know, is this, does this feel good? Mm. Is this what you like? Or, you know, those type of things, you know, um, you know, obviously it's interesting to, to, to hear her say, you know, I just didn't like it. Mm. And um, she couldn't vocalize that to him. Right. And there are a couple parts where she says that explicitly. Um, in one of the moments where she is describing her sex life, her husband asks her, do you like that? And she said, yes, but she was lying. Yeah. And then in the same paragraph, she says, I, I didn't like the idea of having to fake orgasms till death did we part. Yeah. And so there's this idea that like she, the whole time she was giving an illusion to her husband that she was enjoying their intimacy. Yeah. When in reality she hated it. And, you know, for possibly, you know, he may not have even liked it either. Yeah. He may have like looked at it and known like somewhere in his heart that my wife doesn't seem to enjoy this. Yeah. And it just kind of like, I mean, Unless you're just one of the most selfish people on the planet, having sex with someone when they're acting like a doll is not very awesome, you know, where you just feel like they're just kind of putting up with you. Yeah. Uh, unless you're just so incredibly selfish that you're just like, you know what, I'm just going to get mine and get out. Yeah. And that, and, yeah. and what we would call that is prostitution probably. Right. right. You know, right. Where yeah. a girl's just sitting there basically, you know, thinking of, you know what she's going to do in the evening or, or, you know, the next day or something. Yeah. Yeah. And just thinking about her mind's elsewhere. She doesn't want to be there. No, she don't want to kiss you. She don't want to look at your eyes. She don't want to look at your body. She just is laying there. She's just laying there and just, this is my duty. This is what I do. And, and just doing that. And, and maybe, and, and you kind of get this from what she's saying. Maybe I would take a guess that she thought that she was being godly by doing that. Yeah. By just acting like it was good. Yeah. When she wasn't enjoying it all. And and it's very important that biblically that's not true. I mean, imagine if I took that principle and applied it all over your marriage where no matter what your husband did in the marriage, you never corrected him. You know, whether it's his cleaning habits, whether it's, his, you know, how he manages the finances, whether it's, you know, yeah. there's a learning part. When two become one, there has to be a learning process because everyone's different. Yeah. You know, there's no way I'm just going to automatically know exactly what my li wife likes in every aspect of our marriage. You know, whether it is, you know, what does she like for gifts? What does she like for uh, going out on a date? What does that mean to her? You know, everybody is different and I need to learn how to learn my wife's 
desires and her likes and her dislikes. And that applies to every aspect of marriage. Why wouldn't it apply to the marital bed? Yeah. You know, and most couples understand that to other parts of the marriage, but they don't understand the bed. Some couples don't understand that in any part of the marriage, though, yeah. where there is no honest dialogue. And, and they just think, hey, my wifely duty is just to, you know, I, I think he's being a bum with our finances, but I'm not going to say nothing. Yeah. I think he's being a bad father, but I'm not going to say anything about that. I think he's being lazy around the house, but I'm not going to mention it, you know, and that yeah. they think that that somehow pleases God. That's right. Which, the, you know, you always have to remember uh, for those listening that, you know, God says, delight yourself in the Lord, hmm. you know, meaning God wants you to delight in him. God is not you know, satisfied if you do something just because he's God hmm. and you just do it, right? He's He wants us to delight in him. That's what glorifies him is that he is the fountain of living water and that he is, uh, you know, the one who can satisfy us. And so, you know, that's, that's how we glorify our spouses hmm. is that we delight in them. Um, and she doesn't have much delight in her husband. Hmm. I don't know if she ever did, Hmm. you know, but she just doesn't delight, you know, in him. You know, she feels at this point, everything is a duty, um, and that God's satisfied with that. And that might be a misunderstanding on her part is that God is satisfied with her dutiful Christian act Hmm. of laying on her back you know, but God is not satisfied in that action hmm. that she has a misunderstanding of, of God's word. Yeah. You know, that God wants her to delight in him. Yeah. You know, that's why it says wives submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. Hmm. It's an act of, it's an act under the Lord. God, if, if your act isn't under the Lord, then, then everything else is just rubbish really, <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's got to be something that it, it, our relationship first is with God. Do I love God? Am I delighting in God? Mm. You know, um, that type of action. And um, so I see that big problem in in the way she's thinking theologically, which I think a lot of people do in their marriage. Yeah. You know, um, especially when they're hurt, especially when, you know, uh, maybe the husband does watch pornography and she's hurt, you know, and then she goes, man, you know. I can't, I don't delight in him. Hmm. You know, I, I don't delight in him. I'm hurt. Yeah. Um, you know, but I know I should have sex with him. Yeah. Um, uh, cause that's my duty. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I think you bring up such a good point, Bo. When we look at the God of the Bible, he is so different than any other God that mankind has ever created. Because when you look at him, the people in the Bible seem absolutely confident and comfortable expressing their deepest wishes and passions and concerns to him. Mm-hmm. And you never see the God of the Bible rebuke them for that. You know, they come to God and they, they give him things that they may even know are against his will. And the greatest example of that is actually in Christ, where the night of his crucifixion, Jesus knew the Father's will. He knew he was supposed to come to die. And yet the night of the crucifixion, what does he pray? If it be your will, let this cup pass from me. Jesus expressed his deepest desire to not die. And yet all the while understanding that God had what was best for him in mind. And so he trusted that. And that's what led him to the cross. And the same thing is true in our lives that I have a God that I can go to and express my deepest passions and concerns to him and know for a fact that he has what's best in mind for me. 
And if I'm really wanting to be Christ-like, once I understand that I delight myself in God, once I understand that I'm complete in God, once I understand that he listens to me and, and he respects me and cares about me, then all of a sudden, as a spouse, I can start thinking about other people. Instead of looking at my wife to fulfill those needs, I could then start thinking like, man, how could I fulfill some of her needs? Yeah. And I could start asking her. And that's how communication builds mm-hmm. is through the asking and is through the communication that, that is developed from people who who are seeking their betterment in Christ. Mm. You know, And it's not that, once again, it's not that I have it down. And I don't blow it on these issues all the time. You know, there's so many times where I try to manipulate my wife Mm -hmm. and I see it and I know that I'm doing it. I try to manipulate her in and out of the bed to try to get what I want out of the marriage. And it's the only times where I'm ever ever able to feel sorry about that or to change that behavior is through the completeness that comes in Christ. That's the only time I've been able to do that. Yeah. And that's what's pressing me forward. Yeah. You have that foundation. That's right. That, that, that it's kind of like. You have a, a real strong base in a good, strong theology, you know, um, you know, all these doctrines that are in the Bible are very strong in your life. And it's as you uh, lean onto that, it, it becomes an anchor. It becomes something like a strong fortress that you're now able to go outside of the castle, you know, in a sense, and minister to other people, your spouse, whatever. But you always have that great foundation, you know, that joy and that peace and everything's coming from God, mm. you know, which is um, which is so needed, you know, because um, it's, it, you know, we all, it, you know, as a Christian, even even suffering is uh, Paul even tells us that, you know, he counts it joy mm. to go through the trials that he goes through. That that even in in suffering there is a a joy we can have knowing that God is being exalted in my suffering and that's our joy our joy is rooted in the in the exaltation of God mm-hmm. um, and you know again I don't think her theology was really solid you know going into the marriage so she doesn't have much of that fortress to hold on to you know what I mean that place. Yeah. Uh, so everything's very, um, she's trying, you know, to extend herself in a sense, but she really has no foundation, Yeah. you know. Yeah. So let's move on, though, in the in the thing. Yeah. Uh, I'm just going to read the rest. There's not much left, and we can comment on, on certain things. Yeah. Uh, she says this, before we got married, I used to love kissing him. We would spend hours attached at the mouth because aside from the occasional drunken foreplay, it was all we had. And our marriage, we stopped kissing because who needs to kiss when sex is on the table? Wow. Me. I did. I needed that assurance. Some physical aspect of our relationship was working. And when I didn't get that assurance, I pinned it on myself. Maybe I was just that woman you hear about who doesn't particularly care for sex. She just slowly dries up until she dies alone. For months, I believed that it might be me. Rather than trying something different, he began to believe it too. Six months into our marriage, the idea of separating seemed more appealing than feigning headaches for the rest of my life. Uh, Had we had sex before our relationship transitioned into a contract, I would have known that there was no passion, no spark, nothing happening between our bodies. I would never have agreed to marry him because sex is a significant part of our relationship and therefore a significant part of our relationship was failing. With the failure of our sex life, I felt less like less of a woman, no longer a sexual creature, but more of a plant, sitting there day in and day out, wilting while I waited for someone to take care of me. 
without having sex before marriage, I blindly walked up the aisle and committed myself to a man who I didn't know, uh, who didn't know me and gave me my long held virginity to someone with whom I had no more chemistry than a second cousin. Soon after our divorce, he got remarried to someone who suits him better than I ever could have. And years later, I can confirm that I'm no longer a woman who has no interest in sex. I don't quilt. I haven't compiled a grocery list in bed for years. And now I know that sex can be amazing. With a bartender who only knows your first name, a pilot you meet in, on a vacation in Costa Rica, and yes, with the right guy, sex and marriage can be beautiful. The key is to figure that uh, figure that out before you find yourself walking down the aisle in a dress that costs more than the family car. My mother has since reminded me. It isn't the most important thing when it comes to love, but for me, I have learned that sex is important enough not to wait. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. I think she almost contradicts herself in the, in the very end yeah. because she's trying to make a point that it's not it's not the only significant thing, but really it is the only significant <laughs> but yeah, thing. Yeah, just a couple sentences before, she said, that's why our marriage failed. Right? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Meaning it is the significant thing, <laughs> you know, because she's not talking about anything else. She hasn't made reference to any other really issues going on in the marriage or, yeah. you know, in the relationship. It has to do with this intimate section of her life. So it's not just significant. It is the significant <laughs> thing um, in her life. And... Um, you know, I think for her, probably, um, if if you talk to someone, if I if we had a chance to sit down with her and find out her theology and what her beliefs are um, from her statements of having sex with, uh, it sounds like she was implying that she has had intimacy with someone uh, who was a airline pilot in Costa Rica or this other thing, yeah. this other person, but uh, that that I'm sure her her belief system on Christianity is very liberal, mm. um, meaning it's like, oh, yeah, maybe I'm a Christian or, yeah, sure, I believe in Jesus. And, you know what I mean? Or if if it's even that, yeah, you know, um, meaning I, I think the only way for her to have good sex, quote, good sex, mm. was for her, she had to throw out this idea of God. You know, maybe she struggled or the, or, or the God as she understood him to be. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I do know what you mean. And, and then and then after that, she could, in a sense, liberate herself to now experience pleasure and, uh, ex, you know, everything that comes with uh, sexual experience. Yeah. You know, and I think a lot of Christians are like that where they're trying desperately to get out of this bubble mm. that they feel oppressed in. Yeah. Um which is unfortunate, yeah. you know, because if she if she had sex with, say, the airline pilot and caught AIDS, mm. she probably would say something different. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. She probably would say, well, you know what? I probably shouldn't have had sex just randomly with some dude. Yeah. You know, um, I caught syphilis or whatever other disease. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like it makes it sound like. Like she's doing really good because now she really knows that she can have sex. She threw out the old, you know, and and now she's got the, you know, the the liberation to have sex with whom she wants and experiment how she wants. Yeah. And and the problem with that is that does that really work? Yeah. You know. Yeah. 
And I mean, once I think you really hit it, Bo. If I were, if we were to sit down with her and talk to her about her first marriage, I think that what we would discover is that it, it really had nothing to do with the fact that they waited till marriage to have sex. That there were so many other problems in their relationship as a whole. I mean, just, just this one section where she says that when they got married, they stopped kissing. Because why kiss when sex is on the table? And then she immediately says, well, I need that because I need assurance. And you immediately see that once they got married, this dude stopped kissing her, showing her any other affection other than sex, and stopped validating her as a person. Yeah. So it's like, is was sex really the issue there? You know, I'm, I'm sure sex might have been one of the issues. But when you have a guy, when you have one member of the marriage who's just kind of getting their own stuff out of it, and he stops saying things like, hey, you're beautiful. I love you. Yeah. You know, just simple things like that or just kissing before he goes to work or yeah. hugging or just cuddling or something like that. When you have someone who has such a torqued view of sexuality, mm-hmm. it's like, is that really is that really the only issue that's going on? And, and I could honestly sit down with her and be like, did you really not see any of this stuff before you got married? Yeah. Was sex really the thing that opened your eyes did you think that like getting married to this person would erase all those other issues and flaws in their heart? Mm-hmm. And there's actually a, there's actually a really fascinating article that New York Times did a number of years ago on uh, cohabitation and, and its effects on uh, marriage, and it actually gives the exact opposite impression of this article. Um, but the, even the author of the New York Times article is trying to be pro cohabitation, even though all the stats are against him. Right. And uh, <laughs> one of the things that he points out that is so interesting is that the standard that the average person has for someone that they would have sex with or cohabitate with are lower than the person that they want to marry. So that means because of that, I would I would have sex with one of my girlfriends that I wasn't even thinking about marrying. Sure. You know, and and obviously that's how young people live. They'll have sex with people that they have no intention of marrying and they don't even think of marriage as a possibility in the relationship. They're just having sex. Well, think of it. Think of it. It's like if you're having sex with someone who's not is not committed to you for life, then, you know, you're you could potentially and then you think, well, should I marry this person? Well, then you have to ask the other question is, would I marry someone who potentially who 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 is okay with having sex without being committed to someone. Yeah. You know, and what what makes me think that she's going to stay committed? Yeah. You know. See, there's already that breach. Yeah, there's already a breach. And then beyond yeah. that, then if sex really is, you know, and this is not a Christian thing. This is not what, you know, right. pastors yeah. are saying. This is right. what, you know, biologists are saying that there is a binding nature to intimacy that when you have sex with another human being there is something that binds you to that person in certain ways and emotional and chemical oh, yeah. ways and the idea that um the idea that if you wait to if you don't wait to have sex before marriage if you just have sex with people that'll prevent you from making a bad mistake when getting married that's just not true the statistics don't bear that out that you have tons of people who get married to people because they had sex before marriage so now they're they're having intimacy and they're living with someone who before they had sex with them, before they started living with them, they thought, I'm never going to marry this person. Then they start having sex with them. They start living with them. And they realize breaking up would mean that we have to lose this apartment that we're both paying rent on. 
Breaking up would mean that I have to, you know, get rid of their clothes and stuff like that. Breaking up would mean getting rid of all this emotional baggage that I've now built with this person through our intimacy and through our fights and through our breakups and through everything that's happened in the last couple of years of a relationship. So I would rather marry this person who I know the marriage isn't going to work than to have to go through a messy breakup. And the same exact thing happens where both people ended up getting frustrated after about a half year of marriage and then they end up divorcing. And that's the, st that's the stats that we live in today. The majority of marriages break up within the first year. Mm -hmm. uh, because and, and there, these are not marriages that happen with people that didn't have sex before marriage. These are marriages of people who lived with each other had lots of sex with each other before they got married, and then they just they just break up because they realize this is all there is. You know, this is all there is. It's not getting better. I want out. Right. And so they get out. And so the, the idea that sex is the issue yeah. is it's Freudian, but it's not true. Right. That's right. That's right. That's right. It, so <laughs> it sounds great. but and, and so many people, you know, say, hey, you know, I mean, I, I, I talk to people and people just, you know, say, man, do I – do I really want to just, you know, people that are reluctant, they're living with someone, they're having sex all the time. They really, they, they start thinking, do can I, you know, I talk to guys, you know, so it's like, and guys say, do I really, can I really just have sex with this one person my whole life? Yeah. And that, and then that's, I mean, going into a marriage, thinking those type of thoughts, you know, that's, that's, that's of course not going to work out. You know, um, you know, because your your mind is already open to the idea of having sex with other people. Yeah. You know, um, and so I would never recommend it. Yeah. You know? And and I mean, you really just hit the the main problem right there. With that's with with the young people, with everyone in our culture and society, is that the idea of commitment within marriage is not present. Even the idea of marrying someone isn't, this is literally till I die. You right. know, I am making a commitment to you. I am making a vow before you. This is important. This is, this is very, very important. And I will stick with you. I will really, literally love you no matter what until we die. Yeah. That idea is just not really present in people's minds. So even when they're getting married, there's that, that uncertainty of just like, do I really, you know, should I really, you know, are we really going to click? How's it going to work in 10 years? You know, and there's, there's all these uncertainties happening in people's mind before they even make the commitment so that even when they're in the marriage they're still not committed yeah and that's why the culture you know if you don't have a definition of marriage if you don't know what marriage is about then then getting married is just it's nothing yeah i mean it's it's a fool's thing i mean it's just um it's a vestige of an ancient world or whatever you yeah. know it makes no sense yeah um, Christianity is built on, on, on rich theology of God, who God is mm. and what God has come to do. Yeah. And I mean, when you think about the commitment of God, like what marriage is supposed to reflect, right? When God committed himself to me, he died. Yeah. Like he, he didn't just say, I'm going to live for you and I'm going to be there for you. And I'm going to give all that I am to you. He took a piece of bread and he said, this is my body broken crushed for you and then he allowed his very life to be crushed yeah so that he can make a commitment to us and then we were just talking about this before we came up he then rose in the body of a man 
to demonstrate his faithfulness, his eternal faithfulness towards mankind. That's right. And he says, Dude, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Lo, I am with you always until the end of the age. That was the level of commitment yeah. that Christ made. And that's radical. I mean, that, and that's rich. And that's an anchor for our marriages because, mm-hmm. I mean, God would love human beings so much to where he would take a human body mm-hmm. and not only, not only pay a penalty so that we could now be... Um, reconciled to him in that body that he took, but then he would take that same body and take that body back into heaven to mm-hmm. display it to every angel and every created being mm-hmm. ever as as I am asso- I am forever associated with my my amazing creatures, mm-hmm. human beings I am. I mean, the commitment on that, that is a commitment that goes beyond this world. Yeah. That is a commitment that is so radical um, that we just, we, none of our stories on the earth have ever managed to hit that kind of commitment. We, mm. you know, that's what's amazing about the Bible is the Bible gives us a commitment and a love that no other literature has ever touched. Mm. Um it is it is something that is absolutely extraordinary um, in the display of commitment and love, yeah. and so and that's what marriage is. So, I mean, so when you have that as the definition of marriage in the, the that rich theology, then man, it becomes. It, it's not that there's not trial, but there's incredible joy to know that man, I am able through through God. To be able to be uh, uh, like mimicking God on this earth, mm. like through my relationship with my wife, yeah. just as he's committed to me. And and she obviously, you know, didn't have that. Yeah. You know, the other thing I'll say, lastly, about the article, from my perspective, is is just something practical for everybody. And, and that is, sex brings out really everything. Mm. You know, meaning, you know, and I think it's so... That's why she keeps saying how significant it is, even though she's trying to say it's not that significant. <laughs> At the end, it is also it is significant. Um, um, uh, but it, it's at sex when we're sex, we're vulnerable, and in that vulnerability, um, either we're going to work on expressing ourselves and talking and, like you say, communicating in that vulnerable area. Um, or we're not. And the danger is if we don't in sex, if we don't talk about sex and we don't talk about what's fun or what feels good or what's enjoyable or what we don't like or don't use your teeth or, you know, all the all those things that, you know, seem embarrassing or maybe, you know, th- that kind of thing. But we don't say nothing about those things. Then there always then there's something that happens in our heart. And, and that's just the fact of it. There's something that happens in our heart in the context of committed, quote, committed relationships. Mm-hmm. You know, it's one thing, again, in a prostitute relationship, there's not, there, everything's out the door. There's no meaning to it all, to sex. It's just, it's just a dutiful, but in a committed kind of relationship, whether you're married or not, if in that sexual life, there is not an honesty then there's something in everybody, in the people that are having that sex that know something's wrong. Mm. And we know it. We know it deep within us. We know it like she is not committed to me 
or if I'm trying to have sex with my my committed girl and I notice she doesn't like to look at me mm. or she doesn't want to kiss me or, you know, she's not in, you know, I could see that non-enjoyment. No matter how much I'm trying to have sex and have an orgasm with this committed girl I'm with, there's something in my heart that's going to be like, something's not right. Mm. And if I don't communicate that, if I don't stop at that moment and say, you know what, it's it's not about me getting off. That's not what this is about. You know, I don't, I don't, I think we need to grow and, and we need to communicate right now, you know, and that's more important than me getting off. That might be just what she needs to hear is like, whoa, you're actually committed to me. You're not just committed, but that, that needs to happen, you know, or if she's, you know, having sex with him and he's just in another world, man, you know, he's just in another place and He's just throwing me around like I'm like I'm not even I don't have a care and he doesn't care who I am or what my I want to be or my ambitions or anything like that. It's just a human being, hmm. you know. He's just treating me like whatever, like a doll, you know. That and and she doesn't communicate with him and she says no, I'm not going to say nothing. I'm not going to say nothing. I'm not going to say nothing. Hmm. You know. Then something's going to happen in her heart hmm. and. You know, because to me that those are the sex brings it all out, Mm. you know, and, um, you know, and it creates those conflicts within us, you know, that if continued, it just it gets worse and worse. And then all of a sudden, you know, later on down the road, it starts the communication in general, just outside of the marriage bed Mm. gets gets worse. But it all starts in that marital bed. There's so much teaching. I guess that's my point. Yeah. Is there so much teaching that goes on in such a close, intimate, quote, committed yeah. relationship? Yeah, I think that's so huge what you're saying, Bo, because if I look at sex as a physical manifestation of my commitment to my wife, that, dude, my body, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, my body is not my own. It's yours. You know, I give it to you freely. I'm going to be vulnerable and naked in front of you and give all of my body to you because that's what I've done with my life. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what sex is supposed to, to symbolize, right. you know, but if I have this idea where I could have, you know, sex with some dude who doesn't know my first name and, you know, like what she says, like an airline pilot and doesn't know your first name and, and right. some guy in, in Costa Rica that you don't even know anything about. If that's your view of sex, how on earth can you then suddenly flip that in marriage and say, this is an act of commitment where previously it was just an act of recreation. Yeah. You know, and in what we do, I know that uh, you have seen it as well as I have seen it in all of our marriage counselings where men view pornography or women view pornography. The real issue there isn't they view porn. That's the issue. The real issue is how can I trust you? You know, are you invested? If you could just get off looking at that girl or that girl or that girl, what makes me think that I'm special? Yeah. You know, that's the real issue. That's what really cuts when it comes to infidelity and when it comes to pornography. And there's no way I could treat my sexuality the way that this woman is saying I should. And then all of a sudden switch it and make it an act of commitment. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, you know, what she's done is she's separated context. She's got her context messed up, Mm -hmm. meaning what she's done is she's trying to she's trying to compare kind of apples and apples. Um, but really it's an orange apple comparison yeah. because the context is different. Yeah. You know, sex with some random person, um, 
you know, hot sex or whatever, going to Vegas and just meeting someone and having sex, that is not a marital context. Mm. To compare that to a, a, a lifelong committed relationship that includes sexual acts mm. is comparing two different things. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. You can certainly go into Las Vegas, and if you're committed to just stimulating your senses through sexual pleasure with someone, and they are just interested in stimulating themselves through sexual pleasure, and that's the context, <laughs> then 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 that's it. That's all you're going to get out of it. That's it. it you know, whatever. Um, that type of thing. But if you take that, if you say that, that, that like, hey, marriage, my marriage wasn't like that. Well, of course it's not like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like that's a horrible comparison to to say. Yeah. You know? I mean, if she, if what she's saying is that, well, I just learned I could have fun and sex. Um that's that's okay. I guess that's a point. You know, she could have fun and sex, but it's really sad <laughs> that that it took so much and it really didn't have anything to do with god or anything to do or even the guy or even the guy yeah Yeah. i mean if anything it had to do with the lack of of communication yeah within the context of marriage yeah you know that uh that created the problem of not having pleasure Mm. or things like that in in sex you know i mean the only thing i could think of is like the guy in costa rica um, must have had, you know, must have been better at sex. Yeah. Meaning better at learn knowing how to please her. Yeah. You know, and which he wasn't, her husband didn't know. Yeah. But man, how can you fault a young guy who probably doesn't know much about it? You <laughs> yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. If you never tell him. <laughs> yeah. If you never talk to him, yeah. you know, and you never look into those things. Yeah. And he never talks to you. Yeah. That's right. So, you know, these type of things. So it's a great, it was a great blog. There are so many good things to talk about with that blog. Um, that's why we brought it up. We hope you enjoyed our commentary of it. <laughs> that's for sure. Um, it was great. Virginity Mistakes by Jessica Enriquez. Wonderful blog, Jessica. Man, we would love to um, say hi to you one day and just thank you for writing that blog because yeah. it was bold and yeah. and it was uh, so well written and she did such a great job and um, you know, we don't have to agree with everything in it, but we really thank her for just writing it out because, man, it brought up so many great points. I think not just for us to ponder, but hopefully our listeners too. You know, so thanks for being a part of uh, the Better Pleasure podcast. Um, we'll catch you guys next week. Check out runninglight.org to begin our two video series Take Flight and Love or Lust. You can also send us questions on Twitter at Running Light or on our runninglight.org podcast page. Like us on Facebook at Running Light Ministries, Psalm 36.8. They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your pleasures.